Good morning, everybody. Who's excited? Uh, who's excited to be at church today? Anybody excited to be at church today? Yeah. Anybody nervous about being at church today? Like you might feel a little convicted. Anybody unsure of how they feel? Maybe you're dragged here, invited. You're like, I don't know what I'm about to experience. Well, let me just uh, perfect. Let me just tell you, there's not going to be any snakes. So. It's all good. Well, we're glad you're here. No matter where you sit, no matter how you feel, I just want to remind you and encourage you that this is not a place of perfection. Um, We say it a lot because we mean it a lot that we're just a bunch of imperfect people who don't have it all together, truly, just trying to be real and uh, pursue God together. And so we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you made time for it. For those of you watching online, thanks for making time and making this part of your Sunday um, today. But, you know, we're talking about being real. And when I think about be real, does anybody know what the Be Real app is or have you downloaded it? If you've downloaded it or know what it is, raise your hand. Um, Cool. Not a lot of you, which is great. Uh, And in true honesty, I just downloaded it four days ago for this sermon. So I'm not hip. I'm not cool. I don't even know what it really does. But I'm going to try to explain it to us. So the Be Real app, if you don't know what it is, uh, was started in 2019, really became big last year in 2022. Um, And it's trying to do something different than what we've seen on social media. And it's just trying to help people be real, to cut the facade, to kind of cut all the superficialities and just be real in the moment. So what happens is this, right? You get a random alert sometime between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every day. And you have two minutes, two minutes as soon as you get that alert to post a picture. And not only just takes a picture of you, but the opposite view of you. So for me, if I got one and I took it, it'd be the doors, super boring, and some of your heads. So, um, but you have two minutes, and if you do it late, it puts late on your picture. So then people are like, wait, they're trying to pose it. They don't care if they're on time. They're still trying to stage it. And so it really is trying to cut down on just people putting up a fake facade. They want us to be real. And so today, as we dive into Daniel chapter 9... We're not going to be, we're talking about being real and not be real photos, but just being real. And today what we're going to see is something truly cool. Yeah, you're seeing some of these be real photos. Look at this. Look at that. Let me see that. Some of these are a little too be real, like that one. Car accident. Your house is on fire. This is our student director, Jordan, with his daughter. Perfect. Some of these are a little too uh, be real. But uh, what's cool is we are going to look at something that's truly real that has no facade, it's truly got a ton of humility in it. It's in the book of Daniel and through Daniel's prayer. And what we're going to see is one of the most, I don't know, spiritually packed, truth-packed prayers that we can possibly see in Scripture. And I believe that if we let it, it would truly ignite our passion to accept the challenge or because of the series we're in, accept the dare to pray in a be real way. And so what I want to do is just take a second and pray for our time together as we dive in this. So let's pray. Um, God, we just thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for um, just your grace and your goodness, Lord. And um, Lord, we thank you for your word that we can see um, your character, Lord, that we can see the truth and that um, it can inspire us, Lord. It can inspire us and change us as we spend more time in it because of what we learn about you through your word, God. So I just pray for us today, Lord. Pray for our minds and our hearts that they would be a soil that are just ready to be planted with seeds deep, deeply rooted, Lord. And um, God, I just pray for myself, Lord, that you would just um, get me out of the way, Lord. It's not me that has the good things to say, but it's truly you and your word. So God, get me out of the way. Control my pace, Father. We love you so much. We thank you for the privilege uh, and the honor it is to be together and dive into your word together. And so we love you so much. And pray this on your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have a copy of scripture, go ahead and open to chapter 9 in Daniel. If you don't, it's okay. We'll have it up here on the Bible Tron. Um, but we're diving into chapter 9. Um, and before we do that, I just want to encourage you to do one more thing, and that's grab a journal. 
Um, we talk about this a lot too, but just as we've been looking in the book of Daniel, we'll be seeing these historical accounts, right? Not just in God's word, but these extra biblical historical accounts that support God's word. Those are just historical accounts of God showing off. And journaling is like that. When you journal, what God pops out to you, that's a historical account of what God is doing in your life. So then you can look back on that later and see in this moment, man, this is what God was doing in my life. And so I want to encourage you to do that and to pull that out. And today is going to be a little bit different than the previous chapters we've been in. Last week was an awesome chapter, but super intense, right? We had all this prophecy and goats with one horn and then four horns and one little horn and with all the horns and what do we do with them? But Travis did a great job of unpacking that for us. And so today we're focusing on something a little different. There is some prophecy in the uh, chapter nine of Daniel, but we're going to be focusing on prayer. For a couple reasons. One, it's the major chunk of this chapter. There's 27 chapters, or 27 verses. 15 of those are about prayer. It's twice as many as the prophecy that we'll see in this chapter. But the other thing that we, uh, the other reason we want to focus on prayer is because the prophecy we'll see at the end is kind of prompted by Daniel's prayer that he does in chapter 9. And so we're really going to focus in on that. I'm excited about it because prayer is huge. And while prophecy is very cool, and it's good for us to dive into and see and learn. God never calls us to be so focused on the future that we're not present. And the great thing that transverses all of those is that prayer is a major catalyst for the present and the future. So that's why we're focused on the prayer today. And we're just going to get right into this. So Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Let's read this together. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus. It's a guy with a really long A name. Who became king of the Babylonians. If you know how to pronounce that, you can tell me later. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord, as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So just a little time frame. Oh, let me finish reading that. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. So just a little timeline for you. Daniel in the lion's den, this prayer, same year. This is all happening really close. So he's coming out of this big traumatic experience. And here he is reading God's word. And getting ready to pray. And so here's what it is, right? Daniel's reading the Bible. He's reading in the book of Jeremiah, which preceded the book of Daniel, obviously. And in the book of Jeremiah, what's being talked about are a prophecy that's mentioned in two places. Chapter 25 and chapter 29 of Jeremiah. And I'm going to read the one in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. It says this. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. So that's the revelation we're reading, right? This is what prompted Daniel to pray the prayer that we're going to see here in a minute. That he's reading this word, right? So right now when Daniel's reading this, he's in 539 B.C. And when Daniel was taken into captivity, it was around 606, 605 B.C. So Daniel's putting two to two together as he's reading this. The time that he's in, the time that he was taken, he goes, man, these 70 years are just about up. We're about on the tail end of 70 years. And so that's what prompted uh, Daniel to start this prayer. And there's a whole lot of prophecy in there. It's massive. I actually wrote a whole other message and scrapped it for this because I dove so far into the prophecy part. It talks about Cyrus, talks about Darius the Mede. It's really rich. I would encourage you to do that. But we're focused on prayer. So back to that. So I'm not so much like a cat with a laser. So Daniel, he's putting two, together, two and two together. He knows the 70 years are about up. And that's what prompts him to pray. And this is huge because here's what happens, right? If we think about this word, Daniel read God's word. And what he experienced as he was reading God's word caused him to move and pray, to stop and move and pray. And this is a big idea. And, it, and, and it, when I was reading this, it prompted this question. And one, what does the experience when you read God's word, God's word move you to worship and pray? 
When, you, when we read God's word, does the experience we have in that moment cause us to worship and pray? When I think about the word experience, right, we think of something that's massive that truly impacts us. I'll be honest, what I thought about automatically was a Taylor Swift concert that just happened. I didn't go, my pockets aren't that deep. But I saw a lot of pictures of people that went, and they had a massive experience. I mean, you could just imagine what was going on there, all the yelling, all the hollering, all the fun. And that experience that they had prompted something in them, right? Prompted an excitement. And so I'm wondering, does the experience, when we read God's word, does that cause us to worship and pray? This question isn't meant to make anybody feel bad, but I want to ask, have you ever felt like your prayer life has been a little stalled? Anybody ever feel just kind of a little stalled by their prayer life? Or maybe you've asked this question, what do I pray? Right? I've gotten that question so many times, what do I pray? Okay, I've made this step, but... What do I say next? And this is massive. I believe this, this right here, what Daniel does, is so, so huge. I truly do. I believe that if we settle into this passage, that can truly help change our prayer life. Because what if, like Daniel, what if what we say to God, we let that be prompted by what God says to us through his word? What if what we say to God is prompted by what God says to us through his word? Right? The scripture says the word of God is alive and living. It's active. Are we having a major experience when we spend time in God's word? doesn't mean you have to be a great theologian, know all the Greek. I don't know all the Greek. But are we, are we, are, are, is our experience with Christ, are we letting it prompt us to pray and to worship? It would make sense, right, if we do, right? Because God didn't make us because he needs us. God made us to have a relationship with him. And so if this is a relational thing. This is a two-way communication. And this no longer becomes just a transcript we read. It no longer becomes a monologue. It's a dialogue. It's a dialogue between us and Christ. And so now this is this active thing that we're doing. And so it makes sense for God's word to prompt us to pray to him, to speak back to him. God speaks to us through his word. We speak back to him through prayer. And so my challenge to you is are you letting what you're experiencing in God's word be alive and living and prompting and experiencing you. What's prompting you to pray? One thing that I heard that I love from a pastor named Skip Heitzig, he said, God accepts the prayer God directs. God accepts the prayer that God directs. And so we, are we letting God direct our prayers? It doesn't mean that they have to be an hour long. It doesn't mean that they have to be like super in-depth with lofty words. It's just a really true heartfelt expression of letting God's word speak to us. What's prompting us to pray? What's prompting you to pray? As we continue, let's look at how Daniel models the posture we should have when we pray. We see this massive instruction of daring to pray God's word, but let's look at the posture we should have when we pray. And this is the beginning of the prayer here in verse 4, and it says this. I pray to the Lord my God and confess, O Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. What a way to start off a prayer, right? Great and awesome God. Big words. But if we're being honest, right, maybe those words don't hold so much weight like they normally should. Because we've lost sight of what those words mean. We use them so frivolously, right? I mean, last week, if I'm being honest, I used the word awesome when I was eating a cheeseburger. I was like, man, this cheeseburger is awesome, right? Or you went to a show or you saw a movie and that movie was great. But see, when Daniel's referencing these words, there's a lot of depth there. This is a reverent word. This is a word for something that we can't quite understand, but we know is huge and massive and magnificent. And so he's recognizing the pure greatness and magnitude of God. Even with all he's been through, Daniel's 
still have this, this wonderment and awe of the creator of the universe. Even through being uh, taken as a slave, being castrated, being forced to interpret dreams through ruthless leaders, Daniel is still praying in awe to God because he realizes he's recognizing the greatness of the one he's standing before. He's recognizing the magnitude of God as much as he can. And what I love about this is Daniel's modeling this prayer that we see later in Scripture in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 11, when the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus says, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. And so that's what Daniel's doing. He's saying, God, holy is your name. How great is your name. Your name is so great. You are so full and big that I can't even wrap my head around it. As much as I can understand it, I'm praising you. And even beyond my wildest imagination, whatever this crazy brain can make up, I still can't comprehend how big you are and how amazing you are. This prayer is in pure reverence, in pure reverence. So Daniel sets this incredible foundation by recognizing as much as he can God's magnitude. He's acknowledging that the one he stands before deserves all the honor and all the praise. All the honor and all the praise. He's completely in awe. And this should be a reminder for us that we should dare to pray. And when we pray, we should dare to pray in awe. We should dare to pray in awe of the Creator. When is the last time you prayed in awe of God? For being honest, I don't even know if I fully understand the depth of the word awe and my wonderment of Christ. When is the last time that you prayed in awe of the Creator of the universe? It's a little humbling because for some of us, if we're being honest, right? We've kind of displaced Christ and we have awe for our favorite musician or we're in awe of our favorite actor. Or for some of us, right, we've even been in awe of a politician. Almost so, almost so much that we've said they're our savior. They're the one that's going to change things. And we're in awe of something that's not a creator instead of being awe, in awe of the one that created our favorite musician, our favorite actor, our favorite politician. We've lost sight of the creator Instead, we started praising the created. When's the last time that you prayed in awe? It's a hard question to answer, but I would challenge you, don't let it discourage you, but let it motivate you. Let it motivate you to pursue that, to pursue that depth. Because it's such a rich prayer life, we can grab a hold of it. And we can let it change us. As we continue, we're going to go through verses 5 through 15. So it's 10 verses. If you need to do like a glut bull stretch real quick, you can do that. I'm going to take a drink of water because we've got to tackle this thing. But we're tackling all the verses right away. We'll get out of here. But I just want to encourage you, see if you notice a theme in these verses. But we have sinned and done wrong. We've rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right, but as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel, scattered near and far wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. O Lord, we and our kings, princes and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. 
Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all of these things, for we did not obey him. O Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. Anybody notice the theme there? There's a lot in that passage, but the one we're pointing out today is this collective group type language. Not exclusive, not taking himself out, but a group collective type term, right? And this is incredible. It's a little bewildering to talk about this because I think maybe I'm just selfish, but let's look at this. So let's just for a second, go back. Let's go back to what caused this exile. And I think if we can go back and take a look at it and understand it, it'll help us understand how big it is uh, what Daniel is praying, how massive it is, right? So 490 years ago, right, 490 years, the Jewish people disobeyed God's commandments. For 490 years. I mean, after like a month, if we're doing something wrong, we think like, oh, I got away with it. 490 years, the people disobeyed God's command. What's crazy is this command isn't even intricate. It's not hard to understand. So let me tell you what it is. It's not even a big one, but here's what God's command was for them to obey. Every seventh day, rest. Every seventh day, rest, which I love that idea. I've been trying to observe Friday. Friday is our days off as a staff. I've not been good at it. But the last month I've been trying to do it, and it's a game changer. You know how many chores I got done on Friday? I changed the brakes. I cut a bunch of tree branches. It was awesome. Who doesn't want that? But they wouldn't do it. And then every seventh year, they were to rest from tilling the land, working the land. So every seventh year, and that was with reason. The reason God told them to do that was, one, it helped replenish the, mir- the uh, minerals in the ground so that they could keep yielding a profit from the land that they were working. And two, the other reason was, was that so they could just trust God for the provision. That they would trust God for him to provide what it is that they needed. And so it was with reason. It wasn't just a frivolous command. God commanded that and they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't listen. They continued to disobey. Even in the beginning of this, uh, these verses, right, it said, we've refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority. They, can, they just refused to listen to the guys, the messengers that God sent. And they even came with a warning. If you don't stop doing this, desolation, ruin. But they wouldn't listen. They ignored him because they kept, they kept wanting to work. They wanted to profit. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Anybody ever do what they want to do? Probably should all raise their hands on that one, right? We all got a little bit of pride in us, right? Anybody ever know what God was telling them to do and yet do the opposite because they wanted it their own way? I have definitely. So that's what's happening. They wanted their own way. So now after 490 years of disobedience, God's bringing this exile to them from their homeland to Babylon. So now let's fast forward a little bit forward to when Daniel's a teenager, 490 years later, Daniel is taken out on the tail end of this 490 years. We don't know. Scripture doesn't say, but more than likely, Daniel didn't have anything to do with that 490 years of disobedience. He was just a boy. And yet here he is putting himself in with the Jewish people as a whole. Over 16 times in those passages, it was we's and ours and all. He didn't exclude himself when he very well could have, right? If we didn't have anything to do with something massive that was going wrong, would we include ourselves? Who would include themselves? Not me. I'd be like, no, I didn't do it. It was that guy. Right? We just pass off the shame. But here's Daniel. 
Even in that he's even in this elevated position. Here's Daniel, including himself with his people, going, God, we have sinned. We need your help. We understand. I understand why you're doing this because you've sent messages. We ignored them. I understand. He's, he's including himself in a prayer that would be so hard for the rest of us to include himself. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that I love that fit perfect with his passage and says this, A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something above you. That's a, a convicting saying. What's incredible is that Daniel, for all intents and purposes, really probably could have every reason logistically to look down. And yet here he is looking up. Here he is looking up, not excluding himself at all. He's showing an immense amount of humility, not sitting high and mighty. As we see Daniel pray this, this should remind us, as we read this passage when we see these words, it should remind us to pray, to dare to pray with humility. And our prayer is to dare to pray with humility. When was the last time that you let down all your facade and pride and prayed with humility? Isn't it, isn't it so funny that, at least for me, sometimes, even though I know God knows all and sees all, I still try to pray sometimes making myself look good. How ridiculous is that? I still try to pray like, man, that person, shame on them. You think God's going to listen to that? Here's what it says in James chapter 4. It says this, and he gives grace graciously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Another saying by C.S. Lewis that is just so convenient says, Through pride, the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. Whew. I'm such a dirtball. I would, I would exclude myself from that. Yet here is Daniel, including himself. So convicting. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be opposed by God. Does anybody want to be opposed by God? I don't want to be opposed by God. I don't want to be the complete state of anti-God. And as I was going through this, I was just praying, and my prayer for you and for me today and every day is that God would kill the pride in ourselves. That God would kill the pride in ourselves. Because I don't think any of us would verbalize, I want God to oppose me. But sometimes we live this life with such a prideful spirit that it can't help but be done. I pray that our pride would be killed. And that God would create a spirit of humility in all of us. That we could boldly approach the throne of Jesus and that he would hear us. And that he would accept those prayers because they're done in a spirit of humility. Let's dare to pray with the spirit of humility. What a swift kick in the butt. But as always, as always, um, don't let it discourage you. Let it motivate you. Let it motivate you to pursue God more faithfully and fiercely. So now we're coming to the tail end of this prayer, right? A lot of verses, a lot to unpack. We're coming to the tail end of this prayer, verses 16 through 19. Here's what it says. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. Oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead for your own sake, Lord. Smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. 
Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, do not delay. Oh, my God, for your people and your city, bear your name. What a great thing that we get to witness such a heavy passage. Here's Daniel praying a prayer that is just, it's so immersed in humility. This plea to God is immersed in so much humility. He's praying for those around him, right? He's in Babylon, in captivity. It doesn't matter the ranks that he's risen. He's still a slave. And he's still praying, not for himself. He's praying for his people, praying for Jerusalem. And this is a heavy, this can get a little heavy emotionally if we let it. Because here's the truth. Here he is in Babylon, right? Praying for his people, praying for his homeland. And yet the truth of the matter is that Daniel will never get to return to his homeland. A prayer thick and heavy for other people, yet he will never get to return. He'll never get to see that completely. He'll never get to go back home. Here he is in his 80s, too old to travel, going through all the things that he did. And he'll never get to go back home. He'll never get to see that. You want to know what intercession is? This is intercession. Not praying for yourself, but praying for other people. Saying, God, I I can't change these people's hearts, but I have a heart for these people. Lord, please. I can't change my child's heart, but I have a heart for my child. God, please. I can't change my neighbor's heart, but I have a heart for my neighbor. Please, Lord. It is so thick with a concern, not for himself, but with other people, to intercede on their behalf to the Lord, the creator of the universe. Lord, do it, please, not because we're worthy, but because you're merciful, Lord. Please don't delay. And it's not like an ultimatum, but don't delay, Lord, so your name can be glorified. Don't delay so your name can be lifted high. Can you imagine having that Daniel type of intercession happen for you? That would be incredible. Now, when I think about intercession, there's a lot of things I think about. Um, but there's one story that always sticks out. First service that happened, I have yet to tell the story without crying, but maybe because I got it all out first service, it'll happen quicker. Um, our youngest daughter, June, she's six. When we had her, uh, we found out while she was still in utero that her aorta was almost completely disconnected from her heart. So what happens when, child, when kids are born, uh, the vein they use in utero eventually closes off and that aorta takes over. But that wasn't going to happen with her. So we were told uh, as soon as she was born, she'd be taken to the hospital, be cut open, have her heart repaired. And so that's a lot to handle as a parent. Um, but, you know, we had to go through those paces. And... Uh, I remember she was born, 10 minutes. We only got to see her for 10 minutes. They put her in a case with a bunch of tubes and hoses and a bunch of other things, and they just took her away to a whole different hospital. And I sent my mother-in-law with her, and I stayed with Jess, and I just put it on social media. I'm not a big social I don't even have any social media now except for Be Real because I'm trying to be real. Um, but they took her, and I remember putting it on social media just, hey, pray for our little girl. Here's what's happening. And, man, the influx of people that showed up to pray for our little girl. Unbelievable. I didn't even know half these people. Hey, we're praying for June. We're praying for June. I'm like, holy crap, who are you? Some of these people were Daniel-type people, I'm sure, but they're interceding on our behalf, on our little girl's behalf to the creator of the universe. We were supposed to be there for a month. Five days later, we left with no surgery because God healed her heart. That's the power of intercession. And what's so cool is as great as it would be for Daniel to intercede on your behalf, there's someone who is even greater that intercedes on your behalf. Hebrews 7.25 says this, 
Since therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. The creator of the universe intercedes on your behalf to his father. Jesus is interceding for you and for me. Despite our imperfections, he doesn't give up. He intercedes for you and for me to his father. What an amazing example that we see in scripture from Daniel. And as we see this and read this, it should remind us to pray with intercession, to dare to pray with intercession, to consider those who need it, who are asking for it, and pray. When was the last time that we faithfully interceded through prayer for somebody else? When is the last time that we interceded for somebody else? Scripture tells us to do it. It's not just something that we see God doing, but something we should model. First Timothy tells us, says, I urge you, first of all, pray to, uh, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf. If Ephesians 5 says we're supposed to imitate Christ, and Christ and Jesus intercedes, then shouldn't we, that the Son of God does for us? When is the last time that we interceded for someone? May we never be people who are not willing to intercede for others on their behalf. May we not just be people who say, yeah, I'll pray for you, but never pray for them. Let's take it seriously. Let's be faithful followers who intercede for those who need it. Last seven verses. We're here. This is the prophecy part. It's kind of crazy, but I'm going to dumb it down a lot because I needed to dumb it down a lot. So it's going to get real simple, I'm telling you. But let's read this together and we'll get into it. Verses 20 through 27. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen earlier in the vision, came swiftly to me at that time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given, and now I'm here to tell you what it was, for you are very precious to God. Let that be a reminder that you are precious to God and your prayers matter. Um, listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. A period of 70 sets of seven have been, have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, who is Jesus, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and a war, and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, but after half this time he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until a fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. Whew. Aren't you glad you're not on my job? Seven, seven, lots of sevens, sixty sevens, and seven sevens. I was hoping one of you guys would be able to explain this. I really don't have anything for this. <laughs> there are people, you know, it's much, much wiser scholars than me. Um, here's the thing. Timing and interpretation for this can truly vary. There's a lot. And there's just small differences that can totally change where you set at this. Right? Are these literal years? Are these symbolic years? Right? When Jesus talks about forgiving 70 times 7, that's symbolic. So is it weeks? Is it years? 
When the decree went out, there was lots of decrees. What decree are we talking about? Which one is it? I don't know. And are we talking about like Jewish years, 360 days, or lunar years, 365 days? Who knows? The truth is, is nobody knows the exact time. Travis said it last week. Hey, if you meet somebody that says, I know exactly when, turn around and run. (laughs) Nobody knows exactly when this is going to happen. Nobody knows exactly when this is going to happen. But if you want to remember one thing, if you don't want to remember anything else, if you want to remember one thing, here's what I would urge you to remember. Is that God's plan for redeeming and restoration will happen exactly as he plans it, exactly when he plans it. The thing about prophecy, and I heard this example and it really stuck with me, is when we look at prophecy, it's like gazing through a hazy window. When we look at the future of things that haven't yet come, we can kind of see shadows behind it, but we can't see clearly. But we can't see what has already happened. We can't see that Jesus came, the Son of God came to earth and died and was resurrected three days later so that we could have a real way to connect with him and have a relationship with him. So we don't have to perish here, but that we can go on through eternity in a real relationship with him. That we do know. Scripture says that the righteous will live by faith. Sight is for the things that have already happened. Faith is for the things that have yet to come. And the reason I say this is to not get so hicked up on the things that haven't yet happened. But to praise God and know, hey, I can praise God because he is faithful. The word of the Lord said God fulfills his promises. Even in Daniel's prayer, God fulfills his promises. His promises and his prophecies. He will fulfill it. That we do know. That we do know. So I said, let's live in the present with anticipation for the future. Let's live in the present with anticipation that God, God's prophecies, and God's promises will come into fruition. I think what's really incredible about all this is that through his life, through his death, through his, resurre- through his resurrection, Jesus came to fulfill the prophecies, including all the ones we don't understand, the 70 weeks. Jesus came to offer forgiveness, redemption, and restoration. And this, this word restoration, I love it. I love it more today than I've ever loved it. And here's why. It's not even because I know the whole Greek about it. But there's so many shows on Hulu and Netflix that have restoration programs, right? And they go in and they take these old things that feel unredeemable, unrestorable, and they restore them. A car that we thought was garbage is now restored. A house that we thought should be abandoned and torn down is now rebuilt, re-solidified, and is more beautiful than you can ever picture it. And you know what's awesome? It's that Jesus Christ, God sent Jesus Christ to earth to redeem and restore you. To redeem and restore you. And unlike those shows where some things they just let go, God doesn't want to let you go. They let them go because they are unrestorable. You are not unrestorable. There's nothing that you've done that is too far out of the reach of Jesus Christ. And what's awesome about this restoration, your restoration with Jesus, is that unlike those cars and those homes, they will perish as the earth goes. And Jesus Christ comes the second time. You have the opportunity to not. You can have that restoration stay on earth and also go throughout eternity if you put your faith and trust God today. For some of you, this brings a lot of comfort. You're like, hey, I've been redeemed. I've been restored. I know that. For some of you, you haven't experienced that yet. But today is a difference maker for you. Today, you're sitting here and you're going, you know what? I don't want to be apart from God anymore. I don't want to feel unredeemable. But I want to be redeemed by the creator of the universe. The same God that Daniel prays to, that we see throughout history. That's the kind of God I want to live a life with.
And so if that's you today, if you're feeling that feeling and you've never put your faith in Jesus, but today's the day you want to, then I want to help you. And so let's all bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And if that's you today, and you're in that spot that you want to trust God with your life, I just want you to repeat after me and just know there's nothing magical about the words I'm going to say, but it's just an outward expression of what God's already doing in your heart. And so if that's you, just pray this after me. Say, dear God, today, God, I realize I don't want to live life apart from you. Today, Lord, I want to be redeemed. And the only way that I can really be redeemed. And that's through your grace and forgiveness, Lord. And so today, God, with the best that I know how, I lay aside my pride. I confess my sins to you. Lord, and I ask you to become king of my life. As we continue to pray, for those of you who put your faith in Jesus today, who said that prayer, I just want you to know that that new life that you've found in Jesus, that redeemed life, begins now and it goes throughout eternity. It doesn't stop. And that God is preparing a place specifically for you in heaven. What a beautiful and glorious thing. Lord, as we continue to pray for those of us who know you but have lost sight of the way that we pray, Lord, we've lost sight of the awe that you deserve, Lord, that we've... Let our pride gain too much, Lord, that we've allowed that pride to take up residence in our hearts, Lord. Father, I pray that you would kill that pride, Lord. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. Lord, help us just to get on track, to faithfully pray to you, Lord, through what we hear in your word and in the spirit of humility and the way that your scriptures tell us to, Lord. God, we love you so much. We thank you again for today and for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for those who made a decision for you today. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Can we just give it up for those who put their faith in Jesus? Hey, if you did that today, I just want to encourage you to tell somebody. Sometimes it feels hard to do that, but I want to encourage you not to let this go. It's really easy to make that decision. And that's an awesome decision, but it's so good when we can move towards God together. And so it's simple. You can either text the word Mile City to 94,000, turn to the person next to you, grab them, fill it out on the Connect card and return it. But just tell somebody, hey, I put my faith in Jesus. What do I do now? It's a beautiful journey that we can't wait to walk alongside of you.